All right. Just last week, we started talking、um, about our theme for these for these three weeks, which we called the anti-hero. And、uh, many of us have heroes that we we idolise and we think they they can't put a foot wrong. But、uh, we are looking at the life of a hero、uh, this this morning who who as well as had some great exploits in his life, also had some extremely low parts of his life too. And I think today more than any of the other days, I want to encourage us to look at where where it might be. To look at a hero that had some flaws, that had some low parts of his life, that wasn't up all the time, and it's a man named Elijah who was a prophet in the nation of Israel about a thousand years, nine hundred to a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, and he had just handled a great victory. And if you were here last week,、um, I talked to you about the the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where it was kind of like a God versus God standoff. Where、um, the prophets of Baal prayed to their gods, and prophets pr- prayed to Baal, and Elijah, the prophet of God,、um, covers the the、uh, altar that he's put together in water, makes it absolutely impossible for God to come through, and calls down fire from heaven, and instantly this sacrifice is burned up, and instantly these prophets of Baal and the nation of Israel turned back to God again. He had a great victory and defeated the prophets. Of a false god, and you'd think that like a massive success like that would lead to just permanent elation and belief. I can do whatever God gets me to do. I'm not fearful. I'm strong. I've seen Him working in amazing ways. And you'd think that it would be a massive feeling of success and perhaps pure elation and strength for future challenges. But what we see in First Kings chapter 19 is exactly the opposite. We see something else take place. And、so I want to share with you the、um, uh, a little bit of the story of Elijah through a little video that we're going to watch. And honestly, the guy that we saw last week, the Elijah that you saw last week, is something that you may feel well. I actually can't relate to that, and I can't, and, and perhaps rightly so, because he's seeing enormous miracles, and you might not be there yet. But I think today, the Elijah that we see in this chapter is somebody that every single one of us can relate to at one level or another. So let's watch this. Does it ever surprise you how quickly and how easy it is to go from an experience that is a mountaintop experience into the pit of depression? I think this is.、Um, I think it's common ground for all of us that we can be at a place where we're we're flying high, great things are going on, our lives feel like you know everything's working right, and then suddenly. Something hits us that we weren't expecting, and it puts us in a completely different space.、It's、sort of common ground for all of us, isn't it? Leaves no one, leaves leave no one out of out of it.、And、you kind of wonder, did I do the wrong thing? Have I made a mistake? Maybe you got great successes in your job, and then all of a sudden you lose your job, and something that you're completely not expecting takes place. You get let go. You get laid off. I remember looking back to a time in our lives, my wife and I, about ten years ago. We moved from one、uh, state to another. We moved from Michigan to Pennsylvania to work work for a church in Pittsburgh. We were just elated. It was just just felt like a great next step for us, a great move. And then, within three days of arriving, of a truck moving our whole family down there, finding a house to live in, within three days of of arriving, we we kind of knew that things weren't quite as we expected them to be. Things started to unravel really quickly. And after about three months, we knew that it was better for us not to be a part of that 
that community. It just wasn't a good fit for us, and so we left. And what started out being a huge step forward in our lives felt like that we were faced with, I mean, we had the opportunity to stay, but no real opportunity other than to kind of retreat and to sort of retreat into a bit of a hole and into a bit of a cave for a few months. And everything was remarkably different. And today's message is, uh, is coming out of seeing God do miraculous things. It's coming out of that sort of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, that incredible victory taking place. But what do we want to do? What did Elijah want to do? He wanted to run. He, for some reason, he wanted to, to get away. He didn't want to see anyone. He didn't want to get out of bed. And, and I want to read this passage. You've seen some of it in the video, but I want to read through some of it again, just so we get to hear how the passage of Scripture is written and what it's saying. So you've got Ahab and Jezebel, the bad king and queen that have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says this in verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I, make, I, don't, I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. That's like us, isn't it? We face situations and we don't want to be in public. We want to run for our life. We want to get away from whatever it is that's facing us. It says here, when he, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now, I don't know why he left his servant there, but if you kind of add it up with the rest of the, the passages that we're going to read, it just seems like Elijah wanted to be on his own. It just seems like he knew he had to, to get through something. And perhaps like a typical man, he thinks, I can figure this out. And he leaves, this, he leaves his servant there and he isolates. We tend to isolate in difficult moments, don't we? We tend to end up on, on our own. It carries on in verse 4. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. No better than the people who'd done evil in the sight of God. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Says he prayed that he, may, he might die. Could there be any kind of worse depression that somebody could face? And this is where you see that Elijah is not the hero that you, you want a Bible character to be. Whenever we, you know, we read a story like this, we often we put ourselves in the picture. and We always want to put ourselves in the, in the seat of the hero of the story. And yet all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, I'm dealing with somebody that's suicidal. I'm dealing with somebody that wants to end their life. I, we're dealing with somebody who's like saying, I don't want to get out of bed today. Is there a reason for me to live today? I'm no better than my ancestors. And I think many of us have lived like this in the past. We just don't want to get up. He feels like the walls are closing in. He's at the end of his rope. And like he says, literally, God, I've had enough. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's up. And that verse in 1 Kings 19.4, it says, he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. And I think there's three things. I think there's three things that God did for Elijah in this valley of his life that he does for us in our valley experiences as well. And in a minute, I just want to share through those things. Um, just as a sort of quick aside before we do that, um, if you're here today for the first time and 
we, you haven't connected with us or us with you, you were given this card with your program this morning folded up, and I just want to invite you to complete that and uh, give us your name and email, and we'd love to stay in touch with you. If you want to grab a coffee uh, in the near future, we'd love to connect. And you could put that as a, a box in the back that we call the generosity box, and you could put that in the back, and we'd love to stay in touch with you through that. And also, it helps helps us let you know when there's a change in venue or something new is going on at Anthem. Also, if you're here and you wanted to uh, give, uh, I encourage everybody who wants to give on a regular basis to do it online uh, through our website at anthemchurch.life. You can give at the back there too. But uh, genuinely, thank you to those of you who are giving. And I feel like in terms of offering, I shouldn't forget the fact that last week, many of you made a significant offering by, by taking this card and completing it with a, with a real need um, that you have in your life and offer, essentially putting it in that basket on the stage but offering it to the Lord and just saying, God, this is my offering. I need, I need a, a breakthrough in my life in this area. And I want you to know that we're praying, praying for you and our team is praying for you. And I want to encourage you to keep praying for one another that God will meet significant needs in our lives. So that there's, there's these, I want to talk about the, these three things that I believe God wants to do in, a, in, a, in these times. And so we'll, we'll, we'll look at 1 Kings 19 and continue to read some of these verses. Verse 5 says that Elijah, then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is much too hard for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the, the mountain of God. See, all at once, this angel comes around him. And I don't feel like this is a, 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 an angel that's like shaking him to wake him up, but the angel touched him. There was no judgment. There was no uh, you know, chastising Elijah, telling him what he should do. This angel's just bringing him something to eat. He's, uh, he's just bringing him um, some, some sustenance, some strength. And the Bible says that, that Elijah ran to Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is, a, is another word for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the place where years beforehand, God had shown his presence to Moses. Moses had gone up Mount Sinai to, uh, to get the Ten Commandments. And, God, and, and, and he, he, God placed Moses hidden between a couple of rocks. And he said, my presence is going to pass by. And basically, this isn't Elijah running from God. This is Elijah running to God running to a holy place, running to get into God's presence and to meet him there. He's heading to a place where he considers holy, a place where, um, where he knows that God's presence is going to be. The first thing that I believe that God does for us in our valley experiences is this. God wants to meet you in your time of need. God wants to meet you in your point of need. He says, I'm going to meet you right where you are. He says to Elijah, eat drink, sleep. He says, the journey's much, much too hard for you. This angel acknowledges the pain that Elijah's in. Honestly, at our worst places, if you're like me, you need somebody to understand and to acknowledge the darkness and the situation that you're in. You know, you and I have that opportunity, don't we, when there's people around us that are in deep pain to just do what this angel did, to just bring food 
You know, sometimes if you're a guy like me, sometimes you want to, you're sort of solution-oriented and you want to fix stuff and you want to run errands and you want to get things done and make stuff happen when sometimes the person that's in the deepest and darkest place around you just needs you to be there to provide the most basic of needs, just to listen. And I want to encourage you, when you have that opportunity to be that for someone else, maybe just to come alongside somebody, maybe to say... We're going to lunch and, and I'm buying. Maybe just to say that you want to spend time with them to be there, to bring them strength in the time when you could see they're struggling. So many times I've, I've, I've uh, had that opportunity to do that myself where I've just seen somebody's in need and, and it takes a bit of boldness sometimes to say, I'll bring you food or I'll buy you food or I'll get, help you with one of your most basic needs at a time when you're overwhelmed. In the book of Job, Job had... Uh, in the, uh, one of the oldest manuscripts in the Bible, Job had, Job had three friends that throughout the whole book of Job, you see their interaction with him and what they were doing with him. And when he lost everything, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, when Job lost everything except for his own heartbeat, basically, he had three friends. And in, verse, in chapter 2, it says, they sat on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That's the kind of friends we want to be to people, right? The kind of friends who will just come around people in their darkest times and be with them. I hope that there's people, that we're people that when somebody calls us and just says, I'm struggling, I'm in a tough spot, that we're the kind of people that will just get alongside them and meet them at their, their darkest need. God meets us in our point of need. Let's read the, carry on reading, verse 11, verse 9. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10 says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah goes into this cave, spends the night. God says, like, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what's going on? Like, God knows everything that's happening, right? There's nothing that God needs to ask us to find out what's going on. But he gives Elijah that opportunity to speak and to be honest about where he's at. And Elijah just goes off and just makes it absolutely clear where he's at. He's like, I've been zealous for the Lord Almighty, as in I've put my heart and soul into serving you in every way I can. And here I am in the, in the biggest uh, challenge of my life. You ever felt like you were the, the last person doing the right thing? You're the, you're the only one with integrity. That's how Elijah was feeling right now, that he's trying to live with integrity and wondering, is, is it worth it? Now, Elijah's going to find out later that the opposite of it is actually true, that there are actually thousands that in, the, in the kingdom of Israel that still uh, serve Almighty God, that there's actually thousands of people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah doesn't feel that way. He feels completely alone. He's at the end of his rope, and he's, he's wanting to take his life. He's believing lies. He's believing lies about himself. And I don't know whether you believe in an actual uh, in the presence or an actual force called the devil but the Bible makes it clear that there is a devil, that there is an enemy of our souls. John 10.10 10 says that the thief, the devil, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. 1 Peter 5 says the enemy prowls round like a roaring lion, lion. And someone is seeking to devour our lives. And it is the devil. 
And it would be his desire to take us into the deepest part of depression that we want to die. You know, there has never, ever been a worthless life on the face of this earth. And however worthless and close to that place that Elijah was in that you feel sometimes, I want to remind you as much as I can, there is not a single worthless life on the face of this earth, face of this earth and there has never has been. We get to that point because we believe the lies that the devil would bring us. And that second point that I want to bring us is this, that we're in situation in our lowest valley, he invites our honest confession. God invites our honest confession before him. And Elijah's making that clear when God says, you know, what are you doing here? Elijah's saying, I've been zealous. I've, they've torn down your altars. Everything's bad. I'm the only one left. And sometimes we're in that place, aren't we, that we want to just let God know where we're at. And I feel like God says, Go ahead. He's big enough to take it. He's big enough to hear our honesty. The first step in repentance is confessing and being honest with God. Maybe if you don't even believe him anymore, tell him. Might be an interesting conversation, right? But but if you don't believe that God has anything for you, tell him where you're at. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the power of a righteous man, sorry, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. There's power when we confess our sins to one another, when we confess where we are to one another. Elijah's tendency is just like, okay, get rid of my servant, get rid of everybody. I'm just going to run to God's presence. I'm just going to do it on our own. But living life in community with other believers is God's plan. That's why we have such an emphasis here on on, on honest relationships in, in, a, in a context like small groups that we've been putting together recently. Some of us grew up thinking that we should, we should hide our sinful behavior in every way. But God encourages us to confess, to be open about where we are and what, what we've done. And that passage in 1 Kings 19 continues, and, and you hear uh, Elijah in that cave, and, and God says, the presence of God is going to pass by. Don't fear, my presence is going to pass by. And there's the earthquake, and there's the, the, uh, the wind, and there's the fire, and, and God isn't in any of it. But then in 1 Kings nineteen twelve, it says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it's the whispering voice of God speaking. You know, I believe in our dark situations, God's in the mundane a lot more than he is in the dramatic. He's in the, the day-to-day moments of our, life, if, of, of our lives. If we take the time to listen, if we take the time to try and find him in the midst of that. He whispers a lot more than he shouts. He's in a lot more mundane situations in our lives we could imagine. God wants, Elijah wants to die and he eats and he sleeps and he eats and he sleeps and God's present in that. God validates the fact that this journey he's about to face is just too much for him and all he can, all he needs right now is just food and sleep, food and sleep and, and sort of over and over again the angel of the Lord comes back to Elijah and just st- sustains them in his deepest need. It's because God whispers to us much more than he shouts. You ever sat under the leadership of a great uh, teacher when you were a kid 
and you notice that a teacher can be teaching in, in so many ways, but if it's a great teacher, every now and then, they might just come up and they might just lower their voice. And they make it really hard for you to hear what they're saying. So you absolutely, you end up as a kid, you're like, you're like leaning into the drama of what might be happening. But God is whispering to us much more than he shouts. When you're hearing God directly, it's so important to do it in the context of community. To share what we think God's saying to us with, with one or two other people. How God's leading, leading us. Don't ever be in that place where you, you, you think, I think God's leading me, but you do it in isolation. Because the voice of the enemy can be so strong that sometimes it can bring confusion, it can, it can, uh, it can bring damage when we just uh, respond on our own rather than getting a few trusted friends around us and saying, I want to walk this life of figuring out what God's plan is for me and where God wants me to go with others around me who I trust. Because we're susceptible to the lies of the enemy, susceptible to the confusion he brings. Psalm 34, 18 describes God's feelings towards the discouraged and the downtrodden. And it says, the, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God wants to be close to us in the midst of our moments where we're praying, God, will you take my life? Will you allow it all to end? Because I, I can't handle the fear and I can't handle the anxiety and the stress that I'm in right now. God, will you take my life? It says so clearly, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you need to write that verse down today, write it down. Psalm 34, verse 18. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Some, put it on the fridge in a place where you'll be reminded that in your darkest moments, God's not distant. He's not far away. He's closer than he ever has been. And he wants to whisper to us in our brokenness. Romans 8 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's a passage of Scripture that I can't begin to completely understand, except that somehow God says, when you're in the darkest moments of your life, the Holy Spirit is coming around you, and there's this sense of presence. There's this sense of something as close as a groan. It's almost like he's praying to God, for praying to the Father for you in, with, with words that don't even exist, in a way that you could never understand, but the Spirit is around you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the Apostle Peter cried out to people and said, Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God's not looking for perfection from us. He's looking for us to be honest and to be, to be uh, vulnerable with him. And he wants to be present with us. You know, the amazing thing is, is that when, when Peter wrote those words, scholars think that it's likely that he was probably aware of his upcoming death. He was probably aware of the fact that he was going to get crucified in the same way or even worse than Jesus did, that his life was going to come to an end. And yet Peter writes this, this letter uh, to Christians all across the world saying, cast your anxiety upon him. I wonder if in, he must have been writing that thinking, I'm doing the same. I'm, I'm inspiring you to do this because I'm living it out. I'm saying, cast your, my, your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's present with you. So today I want to ask you, where are you at? Are you, have you been, are you, you, can you relate to this, this situation that Elijah's in? 
and I want to be the, 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 the man with the gift of discouragement here because if you feel like, nope, everything's good, everything's great right now, guess what? At some point in our lives, it's coming. It's around the corner, and we might as well be aware of how God works and how he works in some of our dark situations that will often come right after a mountaintop situation. Are you in a season like Elijah where one day you're kicking butt and taking names, and then the, the next day you're hiding under a bush? You know, the next day you just can't see anything good about your own life. When we read these passages of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we get a window, just a, a tiny window into someone's life, or we just get that chance just to see just snippets of what God was doing in their lives that can sometimes seem that it was all over in no time at all. But in this moment that we get to see in Elijah's life, could it last for a significant time? And I've known because some of you share your stories with me that some of the seasons that we're in, the dark seasons we're in, don't seem to end. They seem to be, to be seasons that last for a long time. And we're hanging on for dear life in the midst of it. We've got this tiny window into Elijah's life. Where we we want to ask ourselves, God, does this mean that you might understand my life? Does this mean that maybe you understand where I'm at? And I want to, I want to just let's say, trust me, God understands. God is with you in that moment where you feel like your life is not worth living. His word contains an honest life of an anti-hero who might have struggled even with mental illness, with something that could be labeled today like that. And we might see, feel it puts us in such a, a box or a category that perhaps many of us here deal with. I know that in my own life a few years ago, three, three years ago, I was in, under such stress such anxiety and fear that I couldn't even walk down the driveway without garbage, without feeling out of breath, anxious, and unable to cope. I couldn't take a load of laundry from our laundry room on the first floor up to the bedrooms without stopping at the top of the stairs and catching my breath because I was in, under such anxiety and stress. Now, if you want to get out of a couple of great chores, maybe that's a, a thing to fake. But like for most of us, it's, it's, it's real. We face that in reality, and we know what that's like. And I want to say in those seasons, I believe with all my heart, all my soul, God is present. Even in this last week, as I, so I, I tend to think about the things we're talking about on Sunday every day in, in, a, in the previous week. And between... Two of uh, two family members, or you know, my wife was in Michigan taking care of her mother, who was having to be moved to a uh, a different facility. So that took absolutely all her week. She was gone for the whole week, and so I was at home, and I spent about twenty hours this week in unexpected hospital visits with our kids. And everyone's good. We've still got three. I checked last night; they're all still. You know, we've got through it, but it was a anxiety-inducing week. It was a fear and stress-inducing week to experience that and uh, you know, to, be, to be dealing with it as a single parent. And that's, that's normal uh, for some of you as well, to be dealing with that every single week. And there was something about that, that being in hosp- the hospital and being you know, emergency rooms and doctor's offices that were just, it's just stress-inducing. But God meets us where we are. He invites our honest confession. 
And God is going to whisper to you much more than he shouts. Let me encourage you. Write that stuff down. When you sense the whisper of God, write it down. Write it down in a journal. Write it down online. Write it down on the notes page on your phone and share it with someone later. And you say, do you think God might be with me in this? And find somebody to encourage you. You know, one of our goals as a church is we've always said we want to be known in honest relationships. And that's why we've, we've, we want to emphasize those group opportunities where believers can come together and they say, I know the value of sitting in a circle in someone's living room and locking arms with other followers of Jesus and saying, we are going to serve God together. We're going to get through our high points and our low points as family as, as, and, and work through our struggles together. Now, other phrase we've used on a regular occasion. So why don't we like to say no perfect people allowed? Because if you did come here today and everything's great, I want to I just forewarn you, there's going to be times in our life when we do feel less than. We do feel less than qualified. We do feel less spiritual than those who are standing around us and singing and look like they've got it all together. And we want to be the church that's filled with people who are feeling less than. Filled with people who are feeling like, I, I know that there's big gaps in my, in my life and my experience with God. I'm not there yet. And we're going to finish this uh, day today in a slightly different way. And I want you to watch something and then I want you to listen to something and just experience it today and, and respond how you feel like you'd like to. But if you're feeling like that person who's um, wondering when they walk in the door, am I? Am I the imperfect person surrounded by a bunch of perfect people? Or am I welcome here? And I, am I able to cast my anxiety on the Lord today? Let's watch this together.